welcome to AIJ Cast, a podcast featuring conversations and performances at the intersection of art, inspiration, and justice. I'm your host, Marthame Sanders. As we continue our 20th season celebration, we return to the archives yet again, this time to revisit part of our 2020 conversation with Weston Manders. Weston is an artist and a filmmaker, and he and I got a chance to sit down at his home here in Atlanta. Weston Manders, welcome to AIJ Cast. Howdy. So let's talk about your identity as, as an artist. You've dabbled in a lot of different fields. Where I first knew you in this regard was in acting. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of where I pegged you was as an actor. So tell me a little bit about that. And I know you're not acting currently. And so I'd be kind of interested in how that came to kind of slide to the side. I mean, I came up in the creative field through acting yeah. and I did it as a kid and through high school and undergraduate school. And I thought that that was the way that I really was being pulled to tell stories. Mm-hmm. And it came out of really a, a desire to tell stories. And like, that's what I knew growing up. Like those were the things I gravitated towards were storytellers mm-hmm. and character driven things. Yeah, so, and we were jumping into this a little bit early, uh, but you know, you grew up in Blackshear, Georgia, down South Georgia. Um, it, it, do you think there's something unique about that kind of storytelling versus other kinds of storytelling that drew you to it? I think that everything stems from where you're from. Sure. And you know, the, the parameters that you have or the freedoms that you have, um, in your geographical place yeah. and in your community growing up, obviously. Yeah. And so being from South Georgia, I think is cool and unique and special for me because I got this really interesting swampy Southern texture yeah. as my backdrop as a kid. Yeah. And so these were the things that I knew as my world and then slowly started to appreciate them more and more and more and mm. see that they were, you know, geographically kind of special. I mean, a, a large swamp area is not, you know, that common yeah. of, of a place to, to kind of unique in the United States between there and North Florida, that kind of Okefenokee area. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And that's exactly it. It's like, and then it, it, it was literally cool, but physically look at these cypress trees and yeah. this dark water. And then yeah. it became this, this big metaphor of like the, you know, the, the murky waters that were yeah. harder to navigate, literally hard to navigate. But then as I moved to Atlanta and like have gotten to be a slightly older person, uh-huh. I, I see that this is problematic, the world that I grew up in, in mm. a lot of ways. And so there's more spiritual murky waters and, socioeconomic murky waters yeah. and, you know, race relation, you know, murky waters yeah. in, in that arena too, that, yeah. that are a part of that and it really can't be ignored. Um, so it's like, that was the backdrop that yeah. I knew and loved and I heard stories about it growing up and they were contemporary to the people who were telling the stories. This is what happened to me yeah. running moonshine or, yeah. you know, fishing in these areas. And then, I wanted to continue to tell those stories because I realized that they were kind of unique. Yeah. Well, and you know, here we are in Atlanta and that, you know, the stereotype of Atlanta, the rest of Georgia is backwater and, and backwards and everything else. And what you're talking about is there, there's, there's an element of truth to that, but there's missing a lot of the fuller humanity of folk. Um, you and I have shared for a long time, a a fascination and and an appreciation for Flannery O'Connor and her work. And when you read Flannery O'Connor and realize she's from that same kind of quote unquote backwater telling these very 
brilliant stories, but suffused with that murkiness. To me, it almost speaks to the layered ability of storytelling. When you're telling a story about murkiness, it makes for more interesting characters, more interesting, the way Flannery O'Connor does it, these odd moral kind of outcomings of these stories that aren't as clean cut as we would like them to be, especially given her, what her contemporaries are writing. 100%. Yeah. And, and that's, what's interesting to me is that if you were to look through the water yeah, and you see these levels, you know, this top layer is where the light can it yeah, permeates, where it pen- that penetrates. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's the cleanest part, but it's still not crystal clear. Yeah. And then at the bottom where the gators and the catfish live right, is right. the, is and the mud bugs. Yeah. Yeah, man, you can't see anything down there. And so, you know, that is again, literally how it looks and how you would navigate it. And when you open your eyes underwater, these are the levels that you see. And I think that you see that in the storytelling is mm-hmm. that there is some clarity every once in a while, but mm-hmm. more often than not, it's like what you can see in the shadows mm-hmm. and those things are all real. Yeah. Even if you can't reach out and touch it, you probably don't want to. So, <laughs> you know, it, it's, uh, I have no interest in one dimensional characters mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and those are the stories that fall flat for me. Yeah. Um, and that, so I gravitate towards things that are not, black and white. Yeah. I, I gravitate towards things that are not one or the other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like a middle ground. Yeah. Cuz I feel like that's just more realistic. Let's let's keep talking about the acting piece. So you're drawn to storytelling and the vehicle for doing that is theater uh growing up. You move to Atlanta, bring that with you, and then now you're in Yollywood. You're in the ATL with its incredible like film uh, and TV and everything else, uh, industry that's, that's happening. So, um, so you're still doing acting when I get to Atlanta 11 years ago. Yeah. I am an actor because it's the most accessible tool that I have is who I am to act. You don't need any gear. You can train and hone a skill. You can polish your innate abilities, Mm -hmm. but you can also show up and with just what you have Mm -hmm. and be an actor. And I think that that's really what led me to it is that I didn't have to learn an instrument or even practice singing that I could show up and and it had it on me at all times. Yeah. So I moved to Atlanta to act and I moved to Atlanta to be in a market where there were some opportunities to act on a regional theater level. There were opportunities to make money in acting and I wanted to make a living at it and I gave it a a good run and it's, it's hard, man. It's hard to be in a room with a lot of other people that look exactly like you. <laughs> and that's the thing I hear about people going out for auditions is you show up and you look and you go, oh, I have a look. Okay. Yep. Yeah. It's, <laughs> I mean, it's like scruffy white dudes, 180 pounds. Yeah. Give or take five <laughs> on any one of those five scruffiness, whatever. And, uh, and it's, it's important for people to act. I think it's important for people to be figures that represent characters that we need to see and and to be in these pieces that help us deal with our lives and understand our lives better. But I realized that it wasn't for me. Yeah. I realized that really what I wanted all along and what I had been doing all along was trying to get to a place where I had more artistic control over the story Mm -hmm. for longer. Mm -hmm. And as an actor, a lot of times you show up and you're a pawn in the, in the game. Sure. Somebody else's vision. Yeah. And a lot of times that's amazing because you're there to serve that other person's story right. and that other person's vision. 
but I realized what I wanted is not to chase those audition rooms and to chase those characters and, and to become those characters. I, I, what I wanted was to help create those characters and give those opportunities to people who were more sold out for yeah. that performance yeah. aspect of it. And I saw a need for folks to have big vision right, and to be enthusiastic about it from start to finish yeah, so that actors and writers and technicians can come in and plug into these ideas. Mm -hmm. And I knew that as a director, writer, artist, I could be that source of big idea and, and enthusiasm. Can you think of experience? I'd be interested in hearing an experience you had that, that lived up to what you had hoped acting would be. And maybe an experience that was like, yeah, that's, that's why I need to step away from that. Yeah. It's very clear. Yeah. I mean, right away, the, the top pinnacle of it all, I think was when I got to be a part of Terminus. Yes. We've seen the world turn itself inside out. Our souls ain't going to last this madness much longer. Which was this interactive, immersive theater piece based on Watership Down. Yeah set against the backdrop of Sherman's march to the sea through Georgia. Right. And I played a character inspired by Fiverr in Watership Down. It's Fiverr and his visions. My character's name was Fiverr, except I was a Confederate deserter. Right. Now, not a rabbit in a rabbit society. <laughs> um, and I think it translated really well, those ideas. And, and I was in the forest yeah. for months from January. It was to, in a public park. It was at Clyde Shepherd Nature Preserve. Yeah. Up the street in Decatur. And I would stand in the shallow water yeah. and in the dead leaves of that park in the winter and spring of that year, getting ready to rehearse a play. Mm -hmm. And I was like, how wonderful that yeah. I get to be outside and tell these stories that are, you know, based in history and are drawing from all these literary and artistic influences. Yeah. I get to create something on my feet. I'm not stuck in a building. When I ask a question to the director or to the team, I get an answer back or I get a better question back as mm -hmm. a response. Mm -hmm. And I felt like I was growing as an artist and I was being taken seriously as an artist. Yeah. And I think that unfortunately you don't often get that opportunity. Yeah to have a conversation as an actor questions think, are met with just do it or things like that sometimes or yeah, unfortunately. And that yeah. was my experience is that I would show up for a show or show up for a part and I would ask, you know, how's this scene landing or how's this moment landing? It's fine. It, <laughs> it's fine. It's <laughs> That's fine. a great note. Yeah. It's a great note. And I just, I literally had that as a note or I felt like that was what I was getting back. Mm hmm too often and I looked around I was had done a play in Atlanta after that and I was looking around at what are the next steps after this play and I just thought wow I'm not getting what I need out of this mm -hmm. artistically I'm not really being fulfilled the content is stale and dull and tired and uninspiring to all of us mm -hmm. involved and so it has to be that way to the audience. Mm, mm. And I'm damn sure not making any money. <laughs> so I don't really know if neither are being met, then right. what am I doing? I, I, and I'd done a couple smaller 
television gigs and, and things like that where I was on camera and sometimes those paid well. Yeah. And they just told me to hit this mark and move to the right. second mark and get out of the shot. Right. And that's fine because it served a, a bigger purpose of like sustaining me financially. Sure. And if it's efficient, there's all, there's almost a kind of calculus to it, right? Oh yeah. Yeah, sure. You, you do it and you get the paycheck so that you can do the terminus and the stuff that's more interesting. Exactly. And, and so I got to a point where I wasn't getting either of those things. Mm. And so I just thought I need to shift. Mm. I need to pivot. Mm. And being on a set for an indie film or yeah. a small web series or, you know, a, a small, very small role in a television show, I was gravitating towards what were these technicians doing? What and was you're picking up all this stuff by just being there. Yeah. It was amazing. And I was like, these are the artists. These folks are painting a picture that six inches either way, it, it, the, the world is broken. But because they honed in this scene, they're creating a world and they're mm. telling a story and every lighting effect, every camera angle, every lens change is meant to serve the story. Mm. These are not just haphazard decisions. Right. And in the small regional theater world, unfortunately what I saw were people not making decisions mm. and calling them artistic choices. Mm. And it's not the rule, but I, it was the exception. I, unfortunately that I was experiencing. And so what I saw were, people on set being able to fulfill a vision mm -hmm. and they saw it through to the end. Weston Manders on AIJCast. We'll be back with more of that 2020 conversation in just a moment, but first a quick word. As always, I encourage you to visit the AIJCast website, AIJCast.com, which is where you will find links to our artists, including their news information and products. We are digging into our archives as we celebrate the 20th season of AIJCast, and we love having you along for the ride. And we look forward to sharing with you what is up next for us here at AIJCast. To stay up to date, make sure you are connected with us on social medias. We are there on a multitude of platforms where our handle is AIJCast. And you can find links to that and so much more at our website, AIJCast.com. And now, back to more of our 2020 conversation with Weston Manders. I wonder if this almost transcendent experience you had of Terminus, and just to go back on that, because that was something that I got to see you in, it was not just theater outside, it was theater in motion. So depending on where you, sh what time you showed up and what you gravitated toward, you ended up um, either seated, which is where I was in kind of the main theater ish area or following a character. Uh, and there were three, if I remember correctly, there were kind of three sub stories that interconnected and came together. So I remember sitting there and then you come in through the woods and there's like 40 people following you because <laughs> they have been, uh, the audience had been assigned to follow you. Um, and yeah, so it is like this, immersive is I know a very precise word in theater and it's not immersive, but there was something very tangible about it that you talk about. So I wonder if that experience almost raised the bar too high for the rest of the work you ended up doing in a way it did. Yeah. But it, it shouldn't have outside of the terminus production. I was yeah. working with these other artists and directors in town who I was drawn towards because of their seniority in the in town mm -hmm, i was drawn mm -hmm. i was drawn to them because they had been here for years mm -hmm. and they were selling me on trust me 
with this show. Right. You know, I've been here, I've been doing it. Yeah. And I wasn't seeing that they were fulfilled and I wasn't being fed yeah. at all. And so Miriam Khalid, who, yeah. you know, wrote Terminus, directed Terminus and she came at it. She was a bit fresh and new in town and she said, this is what we want to do. And she had a great team around her. She didn't do it in isolation, yeah, but sure. she built a good team and they said, why should we have to accept another production of hello Dolly? It was this, a bit of a rebellion from theater in a way, um, from literally from a theater space. Yeah. And it was a celebration of, of that particular park. Yeah. It was a celebration of Atlanta history in a way, and of a really great classic novel all at once. Yeah. And so by no means was it easy for them to accomplish that script and that production. It shouldn't be the exception right. that we should try to push content. Right. You know, maybe an outdoor, you know, multi-track performance isn't for everyone, but we have control over the content mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and we have control over what we hope the outcome is. Yeah. And so I don't see any excuse to do tired things. I think that I wonder if part of that tension in the theatrical world and then by extension, any world in which acting and storytelling is primary between creativity and making a living. Terminus was successful from what I could tell. I don't know if any of y'all made any money doing it. I didn't. (laughs) (laughs) But that was the thing. I chose that. Right. And I had a day job, several day jobs t- to fund this habit. Right. <laughs> you know? Um, and that's what I always said about these day jobs, art gallery, lifeguard, yeah. later in life, you know, educator in some way, sure. museum guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. These things. Funded, actor. yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Historical, you know, character. Yeah. These things funded a theater habit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, um... I understand why people do any job, yeah. including somewhat dull theater. Yeah. I get it. I understand that sometimes you have to pay a bill or sometimes it's a means to a bigger end. Um, and I also understand why an audience would sit and want to watch some, some play that they've seen several times. Sure. Yeah. It's like comfort food. Yeah. Yeah, of course. And like, you know, I've watched parks and rec probably 10 times Heck the yeah. entire season yeah. and because it's comfortable and it's easy. And it's important that for me to click out like that and to feel pleasant. Yeah. I, and this is the challenge, right? I mean, this is the challenge of artistic pursuit is because it is kind of this, for lack of a better word, there's almost like this evangelical zeal for it, right? Mm-hmm. This like when I, when I read Paul's words, woe be to me if I do not preach the gospel, I see that paralleled in artists a lot, this kind of idea of like, I've got to do this thing. I've got to get this thing out. Otherwise, I'll explode. Um, and then I've also got to pay rent and pay the bills. So what's the answer? I don't think there is one answer. <laughs> You've given one one answer, yeah. which seems a lot. I mean, that's a, that's a young man's game, young person's game, right? To do the side hustles, I think, a lot of times. Yeah. And when I decided I needed to pivot, yeah. I quit a play. I got off of Facebook and I dropped my agent all like in, the, in a week's wow. time. And it was an important thing for me to do to make these decisions sure. instead of letting things happen. 
and it kind of unfold. And a lot of my life, I feel like has unfolded before me. And I've been this kind of like go with the flow, yeah, passive participant in, in some ways. Yeah. And that for me really marked a change where I was able to make a decision and pursue something with some bit of intention. And that showed me that, oh my gosh, I made a pivot. I want to study filmmaking. I yeah. want to learn. Essentially, I wanted to go to trade school mm-hmm. and learn how to edit and shoot and be on set. Mm-hmm. And that gave me this kind of inspiration that I can do it. Mm-hmm. And I think my my upbringing showed me that I could be resourceful in that way. Mm-hmm. And my undergraduate school showed me I could be resourceful in that way. And I think that what I decided was that I wanted to work in corporate video production. Hmm. Specifically, I wanted to direct and edit corporate video hmm. because there was a need for it. People were paying for it. Hmm. And I could take that money and I could do projects on the side hmm. or I could do projects alongside mm-hmm. my, the work that was paying me. Mm-hmm. And also I could afford a quality of life now that I hadn't known as an actor. Right. And that was important to me. Hmm. And I made a sacrifice. I turned from something that had fed me for so long, which was performing. Mm-hmm. And I said that this is not the best way for me to proceed. It is for some folks. And, mm-hmm. I don't, I, and mm-hmm. there are a lot of people mm-hmm. out there who I see performing. I'm like, please don't ever quit. Yeah. You are supposed to do this. Yeah. I don't know what it will take to keep you afloat, but like, please continue yeah. to be a figure of storytelling yeah. and to be a representation of character. Yeah. So yeah, I'm glad I don't have to hustle three or four side jobs as much anymore. Yeah. And that now I am a filmmaker. Yeah. I'm glad I'm a filmmaker and I'm glad that I can say no to projects. Right. And that's something that has only recently been true. Right. Right. So you're in a sense, if you'll forgive the analogy, you're like, you're, you're the Keanu Reeves of, of Atlanta filmmaking and <gasps> that you take on the big budget. <laughs> yeah. A lot of people say that. <laughs> yeah. My point, my, my bigger point is that you are, you're taking these corporate gigs, which I, I'm going to project here and you tell me if I'm not, not accurate, which are not as fulfilling artistically, but That's pay correct. the bills. They pay the bills. And they give you the bandwidth to do things that feed your soul. 100%. Okay. And, you know, I, I think that it takes being willing to see creative opportunities within these jobs. Okay. And I think that I do well. I think a lot of us do well with set parameters. Mm -hmm. Here's what we need in this corporate talking head. All right. Now any bit of creative outside the box thinking is rewarded. And maybe that's just the way that you hang one light Mm -hmm. and it's not Mm -hmm. a huge victory artistically, but it is in a way. And I think when I shoot something corporate or I'm on a corporate set, anytime I can celebrate a choice, an artistic choice or a technical choice, it feels like a win. And even though those things are not the same as running around in the woods, pretending to be a civil war soldier (laughs) inspired by a rabbit character. Right. right. I still find fulfillment in those moments because even though sometimes we're talking about quarterly earnings at Cox automotive, I'm still, it's still a story and it's still this person's story. And I still get to hear a, a human being come from their perspective. Well, I would imagine some of the the fuel of that is also how do I take something that's narratively fairly dry and either make choices that make it more interesting or visually more interesting? How am I going to illustrate 
quarterly earnings, uh, you know, whatever in a way that actually makes people want to watch it and not just have to watch it. Is that 100%? And you know, this, I don't know, maybe this is a documentary or a book or something that we learned about in film school, but it's, you know, this phrase that's in my head is every frame a picture. Yeah. Every frame a, a painting. Yeah. There's no reason that you should sacrifice quality or shot choice or cinematography. Yeah. For the sake of getting the job done quicker. Right. You know, sometimes you have to make these sacrifices. Sure. But you, in those moments, you can still try to shoot an interesting shot mm-hmm. and still try to tell the story the best way you can. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when you stop doing that, then you know, then you're just clocking in, right. in my opinion. And then why don't we just all become accountants with, with much love to our accountants? Who are yes, please. Ow. <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, I by no means could ever be an accountant. That's why I hire one. I don't have the capacity for such mathematical work, but I also, I don't want to sit in a cubicle. And fortunately I've have a certain amount of opportunity and privilege afforded to me that I'm able to, yeah. to pursue these things. Yeah. And I want to pursue them with gusto because I have this opportunity Mm -hmm. and I won't have it forever. I'm a single guy now. I can be fun employed Mm -hmm. and I can pursue these projects that I want. And some of those are corporate projects. I can chase these gigs that I know are going to pay out. And I can also turn around and do a weekend short film. Yeah. I want to be an artist forever. And I also want to sustain that. Weston Manders back in 2020 on AIJCast. You can connect with him online at his website, westonmanders.com, and at loudsouthproductions.com. On our next episode, we continue our visit to the archives with our 2018 conversation with playwright, teacher, artist, preacher, multi-hyphenate, Amina McIntyre. AI Jcast is made possible through the support of listeners like you. We can only do what we do because of your support. So please do take just a teeny tiny moment. Go to our website, AIJCast.com, and click on that fancy little link that says support. And come and hang out with us on the social medias. We're there on many of the various platforms where our handle is AIJCast. Our theme music comes from our house band, Marred Fame. And we are engineer mixed and produced by the one we call the wedding singer, Al Mudif. Al is super stoked about his upcoming one-man show, including his spot-on impression of the legendary Carol Channing. Hello, Dolly. And I'm your host, Martha Sanders, encouraging you to create some beauty of your own. And remember that the world isn't truly beautiful until it's beautiful for all. Until next time, I hope you paint your own canvas with justice and peace.